Hey everyone, this is Paul Kingsbury. Welcome to the Cutlass Podcast, where we provide fresh perspectives to help you become a more sturdy, versatile, incredible leader and manager. Engage with us online at cutlassleadership.com and like and follow my Facebook page. And send me your questions and topic suggestions to cutlassleadership at gmail.com. Enjoy this episode. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I hope this finds all my Cutlass Podcast listeners doing well wherever you are. For this episode, I wanted to get more into some of the personal communication skills and something that resonates with me and I've used to, I think, good effect is writing skills. And I think writing is a crucial skill and it's a tool of influence that most people don't probably use to full effect or potential or they shy away from when they could really use it in a more influential way. But as I explained, the Chief Petty Officer's Guide Leaders and managers have to use writing daily for a variety of things. We use them in performance evaluations. We use it in official messages and correspondence, such as in emails. We write reports and we write things like award write-up. So definitely you're using your writing skills. But you can also use your writing skills to influence those leaders that are not directly in your daily scope of leadership or your organization. So publishing in articles and in journals and things like that offers you the opportunity to influence policy and the decision-making at the broader level. So joining me to discuss this today, how you can embrace and improve your writing skills, is Guy Snodgrass. So he has done and seen a lot. Guy finished a 20-year career in the Navy. He's a formal naval aviator and F-18 pilot who served as a commanding officer of a fighter squadron based in Japan. He was a top gun instructor, and he served as a combat pilot over the skies of Iraq. He recently served as Director of Communications and Chief Speechwriter to Secretary of Defense James Mattis. And today is the founder and CEO of Defense Analytics, which is a strategic consulting and advisory firm. In addition to all that, he's written extensively and been published in the U.S. Naval Institute's Proceedings Magazine, and he's the author of Holding the Line, Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis, a contributing author to the Naval Officer's Guide to the Pentagon, and most recently the author of Top Gun's Top 10 Leadership Lessons from the Cockpit. So, Guy, it's a pleasure to have you on the Cutlass Podcast. How's everything going with you? Hey, uh, great, Paul. Thanks again for having me on. Always great talking with you. I've been a big fan, of course, for a number of years. Had a chance to work with you as part of the editorial board for the U.S. Naval Institute. So I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Cool. Yes, and that was the first thing I kind of jotted down. Like, you and I first connected, I think, as members of the U.S. Naval Institute's editorial board. We both have experience being published in Proceedings Magazine, and we've got experience writing books. And I'm telling you, as we've talked before, you know, I really think writing is an area where people could use it more, but they shy away. So I want to try to encourage people today, maybe explore some of the barriers and things to writing. So let's start with why you think listeners should care about developing and honing their writing skills. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the number one reason you know, you want to do that is because truly it just makes you a better communicator. Uh, it forces you to spend at least some unit of time thinking about what it is you want to convey, okay. you know, what is kind of your strategy, what point are you trying to make? And then it really helps train you how you can align your thoughts logically, right? So we're, we're all used to having conversations with our friends and coworkers. You just kind of ramble on. If you're writing for a periodical, if you're writing a book, if you're writing an op-ed, uh, even a fit rep or, or an eval, right? I mean, you have a limited amount of space in which you have to get your point across. And so you you learn the economy of the English language. You learn how to be very precise 
with how you're using language. And so to me, that's something that throughout my career, I found to be a huge benefit of learning how to become a better writer. And then once you've gained those skill sets, it helps you amplify your own brand, your message. You know, if you're a senior leader, it can help you inspire those around you. If you are a leader of any flavor, you know, and you're writing evaluations on those you lead, it helps you do so more effectively and you can help those you lead advance in their own career. So there's a multitude of reasons why I think you should strive to not only become a better communicator, a better writer, but also use it as an opportunity and a tool to increase your reach and impact within the organization you're a part of. Yeah, I think those points resonate with me. So when I give, uh, you know, when I'm out doing outreach briefs for the U.S. Naval Institute, I talk often about why write. And one of the things I found for me was, you know, it really causes you to sit and think through all sides of the issue, right? So it really makes you defend your argument, have to really research and think about things. And sometimes I found by researching to write, I would find things I didn't know about the position I had, and it would cause me to reflect on my current position, or I'd stop writing altogether, uh, having reconsidered my position. So it does a variety of things for you. And I, I love that point you just made about it's not just about your own personal influence. It's about the ability to use writing to help your people succeed. So writing good awards, writing good evaluations puts them in a position to do better as well. Uh, something you said which really resonated with me is just this idea that, uh, you know, I mean, writing is all about, in some respects, influence. But I love what you said about sometimes when you write, that's an important part of the process is to do what you said, which is research, right? Think yeah. about what it is you want to achieve. And I've seen so many guys and gals who will just fire off, you know, it's like firing off a tweet. You just kind of do it based on how you feel in the moment. And that is an area of writing that I would absolutely suggest to your listeners, which is take the time to think about what you're trying to achieve, do the research. If you're advocating for a policy change, as you kind of alluded to, well, why was the policy put in place in the first place? Yep. Um, what is it you want to see done differently? And what's the history behind it? Because you're right. I have found also that there have been various points in my career where I felt very strongly about something. But once I actually learned the history, once I understood the rationale, I could make a much more reasoned argument that, especially within the lifelines of an organization such as the U.S. military, meant you could be far more effective in advocating for your policy position, especially when trying to compel people senior to you. Absolutely. So when did the importance of writing really connect with you? And uh, and how did that, I guess, appreciation of writing change over time during your career? Yeah, it, it's hilarious. I mean, I, I appreciate the very generous bio you read on my behalf <laughs> at the beginning of this episode. But, you know, I, it's funny how life works, because I think at this stage, a lot of my peers, and a lot of people who know me say, wow, you're, you're a great writer. And it was not the, always that way. I mean, coming out of high school, my wor and actually college, my worst subject was English. I couldn't stand it. I uh, never really had a lot of interest in writing, loved math, loved science and engineering. So I was kind of a STEM kind of kid. Okay. It wasn't until I went to the Naval War College, uh, I guess first as a Top Gun instructor, because you have to do a lot of writing in order to put out the new policies, the new tactics that the, you know, the U.S. Navy is going to use. So you have to write in a way that at least is adequate to convey what you want to change. But when I went to the Naval War College, I did one critical thing, and that's I sought out assistance from the writing center. Okay. There was a uh, Dr. Donna Connolly who ran that, and she was very generous with her time. And I, I wanted to focus during that one-year period on just becoming the best writer I could be. And so she really helped put me on a pathway to become a much better writer. And I found that it paid off immediately because I went to have two different tours of duty in the Pentagon. I was a squadron executive officer and commander for a strike fighter squadron based out of Japan. 
And so I was able to use that skill set immediately. And it, I could see the difference on being a good writer, what I could do for those around me compared to when I was a substandard writer. Yeah, I think I don't know when it exactly connected with me per se, but I remember as a command mass chief, I, you know, obviously communicating frequently with my commanding officer on email. I would get this feedback, you know, from them like, man, that was so well written. So there was an, you know, kind of acknowledgement of like, okay, hey, I could use this tool. And I just found it, you know, before I would go in and, and you knew how that goes. Like if there's a contentious policy, maybe not even a policy issue, I would find myself going to email first. And again, laying it all out, it would make me think through how I want to present my content. I don't know if it was just because my high school English teacher taught me this framework so well, and I had to do so much writing for the college I did because a lot of that was online distance stuff and a lot of essay writing. But uh, I just found I could connect with writing uh, with my bosses and, and influence that way. So I became aware of like the opportunity to use that in things like Proceedings in Magazine, not until late in my career. I was a command master chief of the Naval Safety Center, and then uh, Colonel Glenn Butler, who is on the editorial board now, you know, we would talk about stuff, and this is and he's always like, "Have you thought of putting that in an article to the you know Naval Institute?" And I'm like, "What is that?" And that took me on that journey. But once I got published and saw the reaction I got, I was like, "Man, this is really powerful." And that's when I felt compelled to really encourage people, like, "Hey, you can use this way more than we're taught to over time." To your point, when you get published, your words truly matter more. You have a wider audience, you're reaching more people, that means you can have a bigger impact. And I guess when you talk about the impact I saw, it was in 2013-14 timeframe, I put something together called the uh, Navy Retention Study. And it was a self-directed study. I worked with a big team across the the Navy who volunteered their, their personal time to help me with it. But we conducted a big survey and then I wrote a large report for it. And to your point, I mean, doing not only the report, but then subsequently some of the articles that helped introduce it to the audience, like you said, I mean, you're making institution-wide impact at that stage. And so you're right. I mean, it's easy for people to have conversations and we kind of, I think it's easy to have and it's also easy to dismiss them. But when you commit it to writing, when you put something out into the ether that's that's well-reasoned, uh, you're going to typically get feedback. And sometimes it's positive. Usually it is. Sometimes it's negative. But I mean, it's all part of that pathway for finding opportunities to make a difference that are that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. So I mentioned a couple of my influences. Like I said, uh, my high school English teacher, Mrs. Mackey, I still remember it, this framework and outline that I, I bet you any standard English or college English teacher teaches you. I just remember that sticking with me well. And then the feedback from my commanding officers, commanders on my writing skills, and then Glenn Butler really having given me that nudge towards writing. So did you have significant influences that encouraged or inspired you? And then on a second point, did you find writing was natural or did you have to work at developing it? Yeah, I think I was pleasantly surprised. I was probably a better writer than I gave myself credit for. Yeah, uh, I was never confident as a writer, right. especially when I was young. I, I, did, I didn't like what I wrote. I thought it was kind of just, you know, and, that's, and that, for me, that was the biggest hurdle was essentially the confidence okay. that, Hey, I have something valuable to contribute. And one of the best ways to do that is through writing. But yeah, when you ask who was somebody who really helped kind of champion the strength of what writing can do, that would be still Professor Donna Connolly from the Naval War College. Because like you said, when you started writing and your commanders and others were saying, my gosh, you're a very good writer. Have you considered publishing yeah. or having your work published? Like you said, there's that's some really positive feedback. And Professor Connolly was the same way. She had really helped me up my game, and then that allowed me to do very well at the War College. I graduated you know, first in my class, 
And that's what put me on the pathway to becoming the speechwriter to the chief of naval operations, the head of the U.S. Navy and the Pentagon for at least the uniform side of the house. So, yeah. you know, that was probably within about a six month to one year period of time, the ability to really improve the skill set and then see, wow, there, there's a there's a definite payoff. And in fact, even now, of course, like you mentioned, I've been a part of a couple books. I've published two books in my own right. But but even then, I've got my own consulting firm and I find that there's a pretty solid demand from a wide variety of corporations that like people who can communicate strategically because that's a, it's a fairly, I was surprised, it's a fairly rare skill set. So it's not only something that could serve you well at, at a more junior part of your career, it's something that can continue to carry on with you no matter how old you get. And I think we see that, of course, you and I with our shared background with the Naval Institute, uh, we see a lot of retired senior enlisted or, or senior officers who continue to write, continue yeah. to influence and have a positive impact on the direction of the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard. Yeah, that's a point that uh, I found. If you have that writing skill or if you think you want to develop it, there are so many opportunities to use that, not just writing books and articles. I Googled one time, you know, how to apply writing skills. And there's books out there like 100 ways, right? You could be a blog writer. People pay to write contracts. There's all kinds of technical writing you could do. Uh, so it is a great skill. So back to that first point of why you should care about writing, it provides you some opportunity to generate some income too, frankly. What barriers do you think prevent people, your general average person, from fully using writing as a tool of influence? Great question. I'm going to hit pause on it real quick, and I'm going to follow up on one thing you just said. Okay. You know, we're talking about some of the benefits that being a good writer can offer you. You know, maybe there's a little bit of a carrot out there for your listeners that, hey, consider being a good writer. I'm going to kind of flip it and say, especially if you find yourself in a leadership role okay. within the U.S. military, within a corporation, within your community, if you're not seeking the ability to become a better communicator and writer, then you're then you're likely failing those you lead and you simply don't know it. And that's a, and that's a danger because yeah. the, the one quick example I'll use, and I suspect you had the same opportunities throughout your long and distinguished career in the U.S. Navy, and that is I spent uh, several opportunities sitting on selection boards for promotion or for you know senior level jobs within the Navy. Yeah. And so I'd travel to Millington, Tennessee. And because of that, you get to see a wide variety of writing in people's evaluations and fitness reports. So essentially they're performance reviews and you could tell almost immediately and with relative consistency, the senior leaders who were good communicators and therefore could advocate much more forcefully and effectively for their people than those who were not. And right. so I, I do think that there's almost a, you know, you're functionally failing those you lead if you're not seeking to become a better communicator and a better writer, because that makes a huge difference to their career and a huge difference to the success that they can find moving forward. And you should not be the stumbling block for their success because you simply couldn't adequately convey their strengths. So that's certainly something to think about. Uh, as far as some of the major reasons, you know, impediments like you asked for why people may not want to write, I do think that in any type of organization, in uniform or out of uniform, most organizations have a little bit of a of an issue with risk, like risk aversion, yes. a yep. little bit of a zero defect mentality, because we've all kind of become accustomed to wanting to succeed and we want to maximize our strengths and minimize our weaknesses. And I think the side effect of that is that a lot of times people see it as well. If I write, I'm taking a risk. And if I'm taking a risk, there's a risk of failure that the failure other people around me aren't going to be subjected to. So therefore, why take the risk? Yeah. So again, I've, I, I've always kind of found a strength in when I pursue something that's outside my comfort zone and when I started writing initially, and even sometimes today, depending on the position I'm going to stake, it can be outside my comfort zone. 
but I kind of think of it like I'm an actor on the stage. I'm not, I'm not writing this because I'm Guy Snodgrass and I've got something magnificent to say. I'm writing this because I'm seeking to influence an organization. I'm seeking to assist uh, maybe a storyteller who can't tell the story on their own behalf. Right. So you're doing this from a, from an altruistic purpose. And I think, I think that gets back to once again, if you're a leader and you can write effectively with your people, that's going to help them too. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, well, there's nothing to write about because as I'll tell people, I hear people talking all the time, like in my realm of trying to influence an enlisted force and, you know, Chief Mess and other senior enlisted leaders, as well as, you know, probably in the wardroom too. People have plenty of stuff to say face to face and verbally, but when it comes down to writing, uh, that's where they hold back. So I, th- I think there's plenty to write about. You just got to find what you're passionate and stick with what you know. Some will think they're bad writers, and that gets to, I think, your point earlier about confidence. Some will tell me I don't have the time, but I would offer if it's important enough to you, you will make the time because it's not about you. It's about something bigger. Perhaps some, like you said, feel it's self-serving, but it's really not. Usually, you're not going to put yourself out there unless it's something you're passionate about and something you want to make a change for. Even writing the books that we write, we're trying to pass on information and knowledge to make people that come behind us better and pass on the things we've learned. So I don't think it's self-serving writing. And then that thing of vulnerability, I think, is the biggest one, like you said. It takes you out of your comfort zone. Even writing an email to a boss that was like, okay, I'm pushing back here. There was always that hit send and the, okay, let's see what the response is, right? So there's that. And then definitely, I think you probably saw this the first time I had an article published in Proceedings. When I saw that thing in print and online, it was like the oh shit moment, right? And I thought it was going to, all this blowback (laughs) was going to come. And I was anxious for a while. Uh, What was your experience with that first article or thing that you wrote, especially that retention study, right, that you did? That was that made it to some high high level decision makers. And I think you were still in command at that point, right? Uh, Yeah, I was still I think at that that point I was still a senior lieutenant commander. I was maybe about six months away from becoming a commander and I was already on the pathway to command. Yeah, you're right. There, there's always that moment, the pucker factor moment, where you say, "Ooh, you know, I've, I've sent this off. Yeah, I put uh, my best foot forward, my best effort into this product. How is this going to be received?" And you know, so one of the things I learned from being a Top Gun instructor, and this is a little bit of a segue to one of the lessons I talk about in okay. my own book, Top Gun's Top Ten, and that is, you can, in a lot of ways, you know, you can put things in motion that'll help you succeed. You can increase your chances. So. I could write an article, I could write a book, I could write a survey response, whatever it may be, a report, and launch it off in the blind and say, well, gosh, I really hope that flies, and then get a lot of negative feedback and say, ah, now I finally learned. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've found that has helped me immeasurably is whenever I'm writing something, I kind of do it in parallel. I'll write something, I'll go through multiple revisions until I feel it's darn near close for prime time, and then I send it to a wide variety of mentors or friends people who I know are going to be willing to hold me accountable and, and kind of poke holes in the paper mache and say, hey, this was a weak spot. This doesn't make any sense to me. And that does two things. One, it, it obviously helps you sharpen your writing so that when you do publish it, it's much more likely to succeed. But it also helps you improve because yeah. it, in communication, there's always the person transmitting the audience that's receiving and we've proven time and time again that there's always a gap, right? When I say, like even on this podcast, there are things that I'm sure I feel like I'm conveying very clearly, but your audience may not may not receive it the way I intended it. Yeah. And so getting that feedback is critically important because it allows you to tailor and say, oh, gosh, okay, well, now knowing how 
I could be more effective. I can apply this lesson not only in this current piece, but moving forward as well. Yeah, I have that red team, right, of, of peer review too. So anytime I'm, especially when I'm going to go after something more controversial, I vet it by them. It's not really the topic I'm concerned about. It's usually the tone, right? Am I being overly aggressive? Am I not being aggressive enough? Does the flow make sense? Is my argument sound and logical? And they'll give you good feedback and that peer review ahead of time will actually help strengthen anything that you're writing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I referenced uh, kind of my experience at Top Gun because, you know, I share in the book this one time where I was changing some tactics for the entire U.S. Navy Marine Corps, right? So that's pretty, pretty heady stuff. Yes. And it's a very large responsibility. And I walk into a meeting with what we call the standardization board. This is the entirety of the Top Gun staff, but only the 10 most senior individuals get to vote on whether or not these these tactical changes will be accepted. I learned very quickly at my very first meeting where I'm proposing changes, I basically do it in the blind. Everyone walks in. The first time they've even heard about what I'm about to request to be changed is when I present it. Yeah. And everyone's confused. I mean, it's a, it's a very, it was a very math heavy recommendation. And I'm sitting there thinking, cause I've spent months working on it. This is simple. Come on. Don't you guys get it? Yeah. And again, I didn't put myself in their shoes to say, this is the first time they're seeing it. And there's no way for something that has this kind of impact for the entire U.S. Navy and Marine Corps, that they're going to approve it just on my say-so. They want to they want to see it proven and demonstrated. So I learned from that lesson. I basically, from then on, and I use this in every stop along my career, I would seek people out who have influence like that beforehand. I would let them know, this is what I'm planning to change. This is how, this is why I think it's important. What questions do you have? And then, of course, when you get to the moment of impact, the road is already paid for you. And so- yeah. Combining those two lessons, right? What I learned from that experience at Top Gun about how you can set set the design for success before you've even fired the first shot, and then combining that with writing. When I was a commanding officer in Japan, we were basically overtasked all the time. And in fact, years later, we saw this materialize with how overworked that part of the world was for the Navy because of the collisions yeah. of USS McCain and Fitzgerald. One of the things I had written for the commander of Naval Air Forces was to say, take away some of our funding, take away some of our operational funding. So that required a white paper that required a, a memo to the air boss. And just like you said, I mean, if I had proposed this to my air wing commander to start it up the chain without generating that support in advance, it would have failed. Yeah. But I knew from my lesson at Top Gun, I got together with all the other squadron commanders. I basically answered everything that they needed to know behind the scenes. I even let them work on part pieces of the draft. I kind of shared everything with them in advance. And that not only resulted in a much better product, like you said, because of the peer review, it also meant when I went to the Air Wing Commander, I could say, hey, CAG, I've got every single squadron commander on board with this. Uh, and, you know, we've got a unified front. Here you go. And he's like, I love it. Thanks. And it made his job very easy. right? Yeah. So there's ways, again, that not only just in general as a leader or as someone who wants to help make a positive influence, you can be more successful. But you can do that through your writing. And I love the I love what you mentioned about using a red team. I think that's a great example of ways you can not only come up with a better product, but also continue to improve as people give you feedback. I'm curious, right? So what was an article or a book that you published that you thought you would get some pushback and you didn't necessarily get as much as you, you know, negative that you thought you would? And then on the other hand, what's something that you wrote that got the most blowback that you didn't expect and how did you handle that? The 2014 Navy retention study was one that I expected to get a lot of blowback from. Yep. And I was I guess, pleasantly surprised when I didn't get as much, at least public blowback. And conversely, I had uh, several senior leaders like Admiral Greener, who was my bo previous boss as the chief of naval operations, 
that I knew he and his staff had read it. Uh, the chief of naval personnel, a gentleman at the time, then Vice Admiral Bill Moran. Yep. You know, you had several people who were reading it and either reaching out to ask some follow-up questions, which I thought was positive, yeah. or were seeking to, you know, let's meet and talk about ways we can improve. So I thought that was a, a better than expected response. On the flip side, I would say my first book kind of is a great example, especially if you get if you're in a job or if you're in a position that has some politics involved with it. Yeah. Everything gets dialed up to an 11. Okay. And so that's what I had not anticipated was I wanted to write a book about my experience working alongside Secretary Mattis. I thought there were a lot of incredibly positive lessons learned. Uh, I certainly grew by leaps and bounds as a Navy senior commander. I mean, I'd, I'd been selected for captain and I was being exposed to cabinet level decision making, presidential uh, decision making, working with other nation states to, you know, work on American policy. I mean, it was, it was this amazing lesson. So I thought, I'm going to share this experience because how else do people coming up behind me learn any of this other than by reading it themselves? Because most people won't experience it. Yes. And so I was I was somewhat surprised by how political it became because people wanted to shape the perception of the book before it had even been published. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a pretty tremendous surprise to me. But again, like you said, I think part of this is having the confidence to simply put something out there, and you can let an experience like that potentially derail you or you can say hey that was a great experience i learned a lot so how do i apply it to the next book the book after that and the other things i'm doing in life and so i feel like i still learned a lot of great lessons from that experience okay cool so let's talk a little bit about the process of writing i guess so for our listeners i think most i would encourage hey if you're gonna if you've got your day-to-day comms down you know how to write you know awards evals your professional correspondence and that stuff an article in a professional journal might be the next step. So what's your kind of process? What's your advice to them if they're going to go down this journey of writing an article uh, in something like Proceedings Magazine or uh, Naval War College Review? Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. If you are still, you know, if a lot of your audience is in uniform, then I would say that's the safest way to write because you stay, you're at least widely considered to be inside the lifelines of the community. You can write in something uh, like the Naval Institute Proceedings or History Magazine, Naval History. Uh, and that gives you a safe space to to share uh, and help make an impact without being seen as getting too far outside the boundaries. So okay. uh, I think that's a great place for people to write. You know, I think whether it's being a speechwriter, whether it's writing uh, or even sometimes speaking, I, I think it all falls under the same rubric. And that is you've got to know who the audience is. So who is it you're, you're seeking to make an influence with, right? So yep. you may be publishing in Proceedings Magazine, which has a fairly wide audience, but who specifically are you trying to influence? Are you simply trying to inform by sharing an experience? Well, that's one thing. But if you want to make a policy difference, if you want to see something actually change in the Navy, the Marine Corps, or the Coast Guard, then you have a specific audience. You need to know who that is. And then you also need to subsequently determine what is the message you want to send. And it, knowing those two pieces of information the audience and the message is what allows you to tailor your writing, your article effectively. Yeah. Uh, if you don't do that, then what you'll, what you'll find is sometimes I'm sure we've all picked up articles or op-eds and you start reading it and you go, okay, this is unfocused. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't apply to me. And you kind of move on to the next thing. Yep. So you, you don't want to lose your reader. So that's why it's really important to, to do that. Um, I would also say what you, what you mentioned earlier is critically important. So Anytime you can do some historical look back, you can think back with what you're asking to be changed or what you're trying to make an impact with. You know, why was it done this way in the first place? How yeah. has it changed over time? And then because of that, when people read your work, they'll, re- they'll recognize pretty quickly that 
hey, you're not just pontificating. You've actually done your research and you're speaking from a position or you're writing from a position of strength. And I think that's exactly where you want to be. Besides journals, right? One thing I started with as, you know, as command mashy, but others could try that too. You know, you have base newspapers, there's region newspapers, there's newsletters that are out there that you can get an opportunity to just throw a little piece in. So if you're worried about the risk, those are kind of low risk. I would just do informational articles in the base newspaper, right? Just to get a feel for it. And I found that was successful or it just kind of got my comfort level up with writing. And then, you know, when I wrote that first article, it was about uh, nuke power cheating proceedings magazine. Then I stepped up and I started challenging how current things were going and things like that. But by then I had the confidence. I had worked with a red team who had looked at my articles after I teed them up, like we said. I get a lot that want to vet their stuff through PAOs or their bosses. What's your advice there? Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I say that tongue in cheek. Look, yeah. The reality is that's one of the safety valves. A lot of times people want a want a peer or a senior to approve their writing because you want the top cover. Yes. And that's understandable. It's human nature. I would say that it, as soon as you invite somebody like that in to – to provide feedback on your piece, then they're going to start making alterations and suggestions. And because they're typically going to be senior to you, you're going to feel compelled to make them. And therefore you lose your, I would say journalistic integrity. The fact that I had something, and and look, the more senior you get into the organization, the more sometimes shaping that you want to have. So I, I do think that the one critical element is that if you're writing something you think, or you know, will be contentious, you don't want to blindside your boss, right? So Absolutely. that's a that's a really bad place to be and it's really relatively uninformed. So what I've always done is if I was in uniform and say as a commanding officer, right, and I'm going to write something that might be contentious, I'm going to share it with my air wing commander and probably other squadrons for that kind of peer review. And once I've had their feedback, I just make it clear like, hey, I'd, I'd love any feedback you have, but I don't I don't ever open the door for alterations. Yep. And so if they give me feedback and I think that it's valid, I'll incorporate it and maybe they help me dodge a bullet. But if I if I see that it's them trying to shape it or maybe tailor it in a way that's more advantageous, but I think it's taken me away from the intent of the article, then I'll I'll just thank them in a very kind way for their feedback and and then move forward. Yeah. Um so most of my writing, like at least in magazines and stuff like that, happened way late in my career. So I was serving as a fleet mashie for the time with Admiral Davidson and I wouldn't I would just tell him, Hey, I've teed up an article and many of the times he'd be like he'd see it pop, you know, one popped in Chinfo clips or whatever. He was very supportive and like, Hey, I want to know the feedback of that. So he looked at it as a tool for him to solicit some, hey, what's the feedback to that? What's the response to that? And there's some things that I could write sometimes on behalf of my leadership, you know, points that they couldn't necessarily or wouldn't, didn't have the time or didn't want to make openly. I could work that into my writing as well. Have you ever seen that? Oh, absolutely. I think what you just said was an incredibly effective technique because there's just the reality that sometimes uh, leaders, again, that's just being self-aware, being aware of what your role is in an organization and the other people around you. And you, and you hit it on the head, which is sometimes senior leaders have things that they feel very, uh, they have deep feelings about, but they don't necessarily, it wouldn't be quite frankly right for them to right. put out like a think piece because th- it's going to be seen as intent, right? If you're a fleet master chief, if you're a four-star admiral and you put out something saying, this is the way it should be, well, people are going to read that and say, this senior leader is telling me this is the way it should be. So sometimes if you find yourself a little bit lower in the organization, that gives you the opportunity. In fact, it gives you more freedom and flexibility to kind of challenge the status quo but like you said, your bosses or other leaders, if they're if they're wise, they'll not only read the article, but then they'll also evaluate the feedback 
that you receive and can say, oh, great. Like I couldn't say it, but you did. And that's great. And so let's now use the feedback to see if there's some positive change we can make. Yeah. Um, one, one other element, you know, you mentioned we've talked about periodicals. Of course, uh, once you're probably more secure as a writer, you know, you can go even wider. I mean, you can write op-eds for Washington Post and other stuff. Yeah. Do not recommend it if you're wearing a uniform. But then also you, you talked about the base paper stuff. Look, you can also write stuff that can potentially just be used within your own organization. You can simply use that as an outlet as well to improve your writing skills. And one of the best lessons I ever learned was from a, a rear admiral who was about to become two-star in charge of the Naval War College, a guy named Slapshot Carter. He'd also yeah. run the U.S. Naval Academy. He had shared with me one of his techniques was when he gave speeches and wrote stuff, he would share it with his wife. And he'd also uh, always seek feedback. So even if feedback didn't come to him, he would go out to some junior sailors in the audience and say, hey, what do you take away from what I said? And he learned pretty quickly the the elements that resonated and then the things that don't. So, again, you don't have to necessarily shoot for uh, something that feels way outside your comfort zone. You can do stuff that's much closer to home, but just continue to find ways to get the feedback on it. Yeah, awesome. All right. So any last thoughts or advice you want to offer the listeners that we kind of haven't touched on? Only never use as an excuse, like you said, that you don't have time, that uh, you're concerned about what it might mean you know, with when it comes to risk. So one of the chapters in my book is, is titled Never Wait to Make a Difference. Yeah. And this is something I felt passionate about in uniform. It's something I've felt even more passionate about since I've gotten out. And that is, uh, you know, I've just throughout my career, I've seen plenty of leaders both in and out of uniform who have phenomenal ideas and they're well-reasoned and, and they have a very high likelihood of making a positive difference to the organization, but they either felt like it would be too much of a risk or they lacked the confidence to get it out and or they thought, hey, I need to be a lot more senior than, than I am right now to put it out there. And then suddenly that never happens. They leave the service and they never make that great idea a reality. So I would say, you know, it's really it's not about you. It's about what you can do for your organization and about helping everybody achieve their fullest potential. And one of the best ways to do that is by taking a little bit of that leadership role. So just I guess if you do feel a little bit nervous or a little bit apprehensive about writing something, because you do have to put yourself out there a little bit, I'd say, you know, kind of fight that, become comfortable with being uncomfortable, get that writing out there. And you'll probably find pretty quickly that not only did you survive the experience, but that you enjoy it. You can see the positive impact you're making, and that's going to encourage you to continue to stick with the craft and write more. Yeah, that's why uh, I love the work I do with Naval Institute, you know, trying to, ex you know, raise awareness of the Naval Institute and this opportunity to use the forum dare to make a difference. Sometimes I'm starting to shift to dare to disrupt, right? Disrupt the status quo because we need to in this time. But uh, I think that was great advice. So, all right. My guest today has been retired commander Guy Snodgrass. He's author of The Holding the Line, Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis and Top Gun's Top 10 Leadership Lessons from the Cockpit. Guy, uh, definitely enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for taking some time to provide this perspective and thanks for your leadership and writing and at the Naval Institute as well. And by the way, there's a signed copy of the Chief Petty Officer's Guide heading your way about halfway through your uh, Top Gun book. So uh, thanks again for that and uh, good luck to you. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Always great chatting with you. I uh, really appreciate what you're doing with the Cutlass podcast. And like you said, I, I really am a big, big fan of all the work you've done with the Naval Institute to continue to influence a lot of the uh, sailors around the fleet to to make a difference and to contribute through writing. So thanks for everything you're doing. All right. Thanks again. What's an area of writing that you want to commit to improve today? Do you want to write better emails, better evaluations and award to improve your influence at work on behalf of your people? Perhaps you want to draft an essay to make your profession better, or maybe an article that works to advocate for something you care about. 
in your personal or professional life. Take time now or when you get home to commit to doing that. Don't let those internal villains that prevent you from writing get in the way that we talked about in a prior episode. All right, Cutlass Leaders, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. If you want to learn more about the topic we've discussed today or in any other episodes, again, check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide or other resources listed in the episode description. To provide me feedback or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at cutlassleadership at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast on your favorite podcast channel. And always help me like them, share them, and comment so you can help me get this content out and about. I'm Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep your leadership cutlass sharp, reflect and improve, and take what you learn to become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who makes a positive difference in your personal and professional life. We'll catch up with you next time.